0: Heavenly Father, You are our almighty King. Father, You are also our shepherd. Father, we thank You and we praise You today. Father, we thank You that You brought each and every one of us back to Your house today. Father, as we continue in our time of worship and in the preaching of the Word, Father, help us to open our hearts, open our minds, and to listen what you would have to say to each one of us. Father, not what I have to say, but what you would have to say through your word. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And we will let our children, for Children's Church, be dismissed. So last week we talked about our one word and our God word, and it's neat to see that, uh, that, other, that some of you have picked up on that, and I saw in, in Facebook this week what some of your words were. Um, I saw words like overcomer and intentional and faith and confidence, love, earnest, rest, others. Wow. It is my prayer for you that as you post that up or you keep it in the forefront uh, for this year, that God teaches you and grows you in all aspects of your life with that theme. Turn with me this morning to Matthew 28, verse 18. We said last week that every believer's calling is to be a disciple who makes disciples. And so we are going to continue to build on that today. We focused last week on the fact that we are called and the Great Commission call. But today we're going to focus on what does it mean to be a disciple? So Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, where Jesus came near to them and said, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the point is that disciples are called not only to be disciples, but to make disciples. Now, this past week in our small group, the Greek scholar of our group pointed out that the imperative is not to go, which is correct. I did emphasize that word go because it indicates action. But to be clear, the imperative that is given in this text is to make disciples, Furthermore, we said that given this imperative, that as we are going, we are to be about the business of making disciples. And the reason that I take time to mention that is because it's important, and we all have a tendency to think that we just need to get people saved. They just need to come to the Lord, and we talk about like that is the end goal. But the goal is not to only make converts, the goal is to make disciples. Certainly, conversions a part of that, but then we also have a tendency sometimes to say to our new believers, well, now you need to learn how to be a good Christian like us and we impart rules to them. But do we say you need to be a disciple? And then communicate, what does that mean to be a disciple with an expectation that they need to tell others that they will make disciples? I mean, this is the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission for all believers. And it is our spiritual mandate that all believers have to be fruitful and multiply. And the Great Commission is a multiplication process that every believer is called to, to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. It's ongoing multiplication. So, we're going to consider what does it look like to be a disciple and what are some of the characteristics of that. And to do so, let's just consider how the early church got started. And in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And then we have Pentecost. Jesus fulfilled his promise of sending the Holy Spirit, and these first followers heard the message about Christ, and they were pierced to the heart, and they said, What shall we do? Repent, Peter says, and be baptized in the name of Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That day, 3,000 souls are saved, and the first thing that happens is they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The church is born It is growing, and the disciples are now discipling new believers. And then we get to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Stephen's murdered. And that verse, chapter 8, verse 1, says, On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So here's what I want you to see is that the disciples taught these new believers. And these new believers, because of persecution, are now scattered across the country. Now, how often does someone come to faith in Christ? Life gets hard. They get disillusioned because they find that things are still going to be tough sometimes. The Christian life is not always a bed of roses. But Satan, the world and even our own sinful, selfish desires will, call, will cause us plenty of challenges. But here we have the early church, these new believers, no mention of their names, no mention of who their leaders were. They are mostly unknown Christians who took the gospel into places like Judea and Samaria. Average people, normal jobs, they had to earn a living and figure out how to spread the gospel, which means that they made disciples. Some of them went to Antioch, and Barnabas was so excited about what was going on in Antioch that he took Paul with him there. And then that church turns out that they ended up being the first church sending Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. Literally, these unknown men and women who came to faith were taught, they were scattered, they made disciples, and they had an understanding that others needed to hear the gospel. So the discipleship process was continuing in the early church from the very beginning. So let's talk about what are some characteristics of being a disciple. Well, the first characteristic is a disciple follows Jesus. A disciple is a learner, an apprentice who follows the master by learning and then doing. A disciple of Jesus follows him, this is what we said last week, and is being changed by him and is committed to his mission. And so we have examples throughout the gospel. We talked about the call that uh, Matthew 4.19, where Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the call to follow is significant. You don't wander along and you don't follow haphazardly. You need to take it personally. And taking it personally means that you need to realize that there is a, a cost to, a, to the commitment of following Jesus. Luke 9:23 tells us, "If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. It's not a call to comfort and ease. It's not a call to take lightly, but it is a call to take personally. And the disciples took Jesus' call personally. The early church took the Great Commission personally, and we cannot lose sight of our own personal call to make disciples and teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. I do think that there's a tendency to forget about this personal aspect, the personal call to make believers, which could be why sometimes many churchgoers seem to live lives that don't look much different than their non-believing neighbors. This lack of emphasis on the personal call may also be why Christians believe that they should share their faith but many don't. I'm going to invite Vivian to come up, and she's going to share her testimony on when she came to faith in Christ.
1: Thank you. Good morning. I told them in first service, <clears throat> I did not coordinate our outfits, but someone pointed to me uh, to me right away that Greg and I looked alike this morning, so I did not coordinate our outfits. Um, On Sunday evening, February 14th, 1982, I accepted Christ as my Savior. Next month, that'll be a 35-year birthday, so to speak. The church that I attended at the time was a small little church in a Schaffenburg, West Germany, and that tells you West Germany doesn't even exist anymore. It's all just Germany now. But that is a church that took people getting saved very seriously. Um, After I accepted Christ, and I walked about three feet off the ground for a week or so, when I came back down to earth, I saw that there were expectations. I was expected to memorize scripture. Um, The first two verses I can really recall memorizing were what I call the thy word scriptures. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the other one being, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. They had me learn those right away so that I would understand why it was so important to memorize scripture so that I always had it with me. Remembering that I was in West Germany and at that time, East Germany was communist and there were a lot of believers imprisoned for their faith. So not only for those reasons, obviously for other reasons too, but at that time that was an emphasis. I was expected to memorize scripture. I was expected to study. I was expected to pray. I was expected to build a relationship with my new Lord and Savior. And this was an excellent, excellent foundation. Um, By today's standards, that seems kind of strict is the best word I can come up with. But the reality is, I began my walk with Christ with an incredibly good foundation that sticks with me to this day. I still know most of those verses. can't always tell you the exact verse, or where they're at, but I still have those verses with me, and I think that when the Bible talks about discipling, I am really, really glad that I went to a church that expected me to change, to grow, to learn, and to build that relationship.
0: In America, with our large gathering of churches, it seems to me that we have a tendency sometimes to not be directly involved in discipling, Because we think we have the freedom with multiple pastors and lots of seminaries to train them, that we've professionalized it instead of expecting everyone to be a part of it. Turn with me to Acts chapter 14. Acts 14 verse 21. Paul took the great commission personally, and in his letters, he is continuing to teach the churches that he's writing to, and to instruct others. And he modeled for us discipling others everywhere he went. But in verse fourteen, I mean, chapter fourteen, verse twenty-one, he says, "After they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch." Strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them. Now... If you continue reading in that chapter, they go they're going back to Antioch, they get to Antioch and they're giving a report of what God has done. And in verse 28, he specifically says they spent considerable time with the disciples. In this case, the new believers. Considerable time strengthening them, encouraging them, and letting them know that there is a cost, there is a commitment to following Christ, and that they will go through hardships. So the first characteristic of a disciple is that a disciple follows Jesus. But the second characteristic is that a disciple is one who is being changed by Jesus, None of us are perfect. When we get saved, we don't become perfect. But all of us need to continually grow as followers of Jesus. And although there's a point at which all of us first believe the gospel, we surrender our life to him, but we might not be true followers if we we make a decision and then nothing changes, right? Pastor Aaron tells us that you don't encounter Christ without being changed. And so being a follower, a disciple of Jesus, means that we constantly repent of our sin, we confess it, we seek to overcome it, and we do all that we can to grow in the likeness of Christ. 2 Peter 3.18, Peter tells us, grow in grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's an expectation that you should be growing. The call of a disciple is to become like the master, and Jesus modeled that for us in John 8 28. So turn with me to John 8.28. And we're going to look at several scriptures today. John chapter 8, verse 28, and we're going to focus on the last half of that verse. Um, it's verse 28 says, So Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. So he models for us learning from the Father and teaching the disciples. I do nothing on my own, but just as the Father taught me. And you go down then to verse 31, and then he says, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He goes on to then to tell them, so then don't be a slave to sin. And he calls them to obedience. When I was saved, I was a young man, young, June 1977, vacation Bible school, and, uh, and I committed my life to the Lord. But then later, as I was growing up and, and worldly things started pulling at me, I rebelled and turned my, my back on Christ and the church. But when I came back to the Lord and recommitted my life to Him, from that point on, everything changed, and I was growing in Him. But it was also a time in my life where there were a lot of changes going on. I was recently out of the Army. I was going to college. We were newly we were married. We had a family. Uh, I came to a place where life was just getting Real. And I was struggling how to be a husband and a father and a provider and how to keep the faith. And Robbie Black and I became friends, and he spent time with me. And one of the things that we did was just Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for 30 minutes, he would come over, we would go for a walk and talk and pray. And all the while, he was encouraging me, strengthening me in the faith, helping me to be the man of God that that I was supposed to be, How to taught me how to trust God and lean on Him to give me strength. And it went on for many months, but that was a pivotal time in my life, and the Lord used him to help keep me grounded in the faith. And Robbie discipled me. We didn't go through a Bible study. We spent time together, and I learned from him. And then there are two men later on, a few years down the road, we had moved to Denver, and uh, I cannot tell you their name, and I can't tell you what they look like. But they were pivotal disciplers in my life. And so we would meet routinely once a week, and they, uh, they taught me how to look at God's Word and get better understanding out of it, how to do my devotions. You know, I came to, there were, there were times I would just come to His Word, and I was looking for answers, and I would read them, and it was just words on a page, and I just couldn't seem to get anything out of it. And they taught me how to use a spiritual journal and how to track my prayer requests, but then they also taught me how to ask good questions of the text so that you could understand who's talking, who are they talking to, what is the context. And what are they saying? And what are they saying to do? And what is the implications in your life? And those are simple spiritual disciplines, but I had to learn how to do those. And they taught me how to do that. They taught me the basic spiritual disciplines of how to have a devotional time and to glean more out of God's Word. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Now I think I read half the New Testament this week. And I was amazed, quite honestly, at how many verses and how many examples there are uh, of discipleship. But... Some of you are familiar with Colossians 2.7 that the navigators use for their discipleship principles. But here we start in verse 6. He says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, being rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. So, so he says, continue to live in them, being rooted and built up in them and established in the faith just as you were taught. He goes on and he warns them and he teaches them and he tells them to be careful of false teaching or philosophies or human traditions that's based upon world, worldliness instead of Christ. And then he gets to chapter 3. Verse 1, and he says, But if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we see the metaphor of baptism here being lived out in their life. He said, you have been raised in Christ, you have died, and your life is now hidden with Him. And he goes on, if you continue reading chapter 3, he says, put to death the things of the earthly nature, the things that you once were living in, that you need to change from those things. And then he gets to verse 12, and he says, therefore, as God's chosen ones holy and dear love put on and he lists many characteristics of of jesus that we now need to be a part of our life compassion kindness humility gentleness patience and on and on we get down to verse 16 he says let the word of christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another teaching and admonishing one another. The characteristic of a disciple is that a disciple follows Jesus and is being changed by him. And God's plan is to use other believers to walk alongside us, to encourage us, to teach us, and to help us stay true to our faith as we become more and more like Christ. And the third characteristic is a disciple makes disciples. How do you tell your friends and neighbors about Jesus? If there's no church to invite people, no engaging services to ease the anxieties of the church, of the unchurch rather, no safe and fun children's ministry for kids, would you still know how to tell your neighbors about Jesus? How we answer that question reveals a lot about whether or not we are operating in a way that removes personal responsibility for the Great Commission from ourselves. Now, there are lots of reasons why we don't share the gospel. It could be laziness. It could be fear. It could be cultural pressures, afraid of failure, busyness. There's all sorts of reasons out there that we allow to get in our way. But every single one of you has a testimony. Remember how you came to know the Lord? The man who was born blind in John chapter 9, Jesus heals him, and immediately he was being challenged as he was being questioned, and his response was, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see and he goes on to say, if this man, Jesus, was, was not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. So your testimony is the greatest thing you have to share Christ with others. Tell them what Christ has done for you. I know some of us have grown up in the church and our testimony may not be as dramatic as others. But you can tell them what God has done in your life, and you can tell them what God means to you. I mean, does it matter? Could you live without it? First Peter tells us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. Yes, you should read God's Word. Yes, you should memorize Scripture. But the greatest thing you have is your testimony of what God has done in your life. Now, evangelism is not the only aspect of discipleship. And yes, sharing Christ is important, it is part of making disciples. But how about those who know Christ? They need to be taught. They came to Christ, but they need to grow in Him to learn how to apply God's Word in their lives. They need someone to come alongside them, to invest in their lives and point them to Scripture, help them to keep their eyes focused on Him. And just this week, we talked to a young man. He's he's been a Christian for a few years. He loves the Lord. He wants to follow Him. But he didn't grow up in a Christian home. He's trying to learn how to follow Jesus. He's even tried some Bible classes, and he's struggling to find God's will for his life. And he's got a lot of decisions to make, who to marry, what career choices to make, how to live like a believer. He's even struggling with some sin issues. But this man needs someone to come alongside him, to encourage him in the faith, to teach him how to not only repent of sin, but learn how to apply God's word to his life. The gospel is a discipleship gospel. Believing becomes more than just agreeing with religious facts. The gospel is a call to follow Jesus and prove that you are a follower by growing deeper in your belief that produces behavior. And in the book entitled The Discipleship Gospel, they said following Jesus is an actual behavior that demonstrates the reality of one's faith in Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Discipleship is a multiplication process of disciples growing other disciples. It's not an addition process. You don't just get your one and you're done. And it's also not a linear process. It is an immediate process, and it is ongoing, and it is a lifelong process of being a disciple who makes disciples. New believers can share Christ effectively, just like the blind man did. In Acts, Lydia, she came to faith in Christ, and the next thing it says is her and her whole household was baptized. The jailer, Asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And the response was simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was saved. And then it says, him and his household were saved. So what do you think they went and told their family? I was blind, but now I see. There are many forms of discipleship. Robbie invested in me. We didn't sit down and do a formal Bible study, but he was a friend who prayed with me and encouraged me to know how to follow the Lord. There's no set length, there's no set program to discipling someone else. Now, there are lots of discipleship curriculums out there. I have several of them in my office, and I've shared them with several people. But discipleship happens when you invest yourself in someone else's life, teaching them Jesus' commands. It happens in small group. It can happen in a Bible study, Sunday school. It can happen in a discipleship study. It can be formal. It can be informal. You don't always have to come together formally and say that I am discipling you. Um, There are informal ways of discipling others. My children played club soccer. And so for year round, and so for several years, we spent hours along the side of the soccer field. And uh, however, there was one man, uh, one parent that I spent a lot of time with. He was a new believer. The rest of his family was not a believer. And I had the opportunity to talk with him about Christ and to encourage him and to pray with him. And so uh, frequently we were able to spend time together and do that. There are formal ways of discipling others as well. And one great way is, which one of our elders will probably talk with you during, throughout this year and encourage you maybe to get involved in, how can you disciple two or three other people? Go over the basic doctrines of the faith. I have about 20 books in my office if you're ready to get started. It's called Discipleship Essentials. And its design is for three or four people to get together and to study the essentials of the faith regularly with the intention of, after a period of time, that then each one in the group will look for two or three others that they can disciple. And it promotes the multiplication process. So if you want to learn something, one of the best ways to learn it is to lead a study on it. You will grow while you are modeling to others how to grow and how to teach others. The commitment to discipleship is a lifelong process of bearing fruit. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John 15 verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Some versions say bear fruit. You are to bear fruit and produce and prove to be my disciples. If you continue in that passage down to verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you. Sounds like the Great Commission, right? I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And he continues, this is what I command you, love one another. So Jesus has appointed you to bear fruit that remains. And then the next thing he says is, I command you that you love one another. How much more loving can it be to share the gospel with others and come alongside them and help them to grow? If you back up to verse 13, Jesus said, there's no greater love than this, than you would lay down your life for your friends. The most loving thing you can do is be a disciple who makes disciples. As we get ready to conclude... The Great Commission teaches us that the gospel requires discipleship, and that discipleship is a crucial part of understanding the gospel, and that understanding the gospel changes your life. Now, listen closely. Discipleship is not about inspecting other people's lives and making judgments about their behavior. Discipleship is teaching them to grow in God's Word so they can grow deeper in their belief and obedience to the Lord while allowing the Holy Spirit to produce a change in their life. The gospel call on your life is to be a disciple who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and makes disciples. So the big idea from today, we're going to just expand on it from last week. We said, every believer's calling is to be a disciple who makes disciples. and We're going to add to that, who make disciples. Every believer's calling is to be a disciple who makes disciples who make disciples. That is bearing fruit that will last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will give us here at Maranatha, give us a zeal for making lifelong disciples. Help us, Lord, to follow the command to make disciples. Help us, Lord, to love others in this way and to bear fruit that will last. Father, your word says that you are always with us. Teach us to trust you more and more as we grow as your disciples. Father, give us strength not to be fearful, to have the boldness to share the hope that we have within us. Help us to be intentional in our lives to become disciples who are being changed by you and helping others to be changed as well. Your word tells us that we should do all that we do for your glory. Father, as we go from here, help us to honor and glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.